Welcome to the CEC report for the 15th of March 2019. I'm Elisa Barwick. Joining me today is CEC leader Craig Isherwood. Welcome, Craig. Yeah, thanks, Elisa. And on today's show, central bankers return to QE money printing. What do they know that you don't? And secondly, Italy is standing up for its economy, so should we. So firstly today, central bankers return to QE money printing. What do they know that you don't? So we've had across the world um, a number of central banks, the US Federal Reserve, the European Central Bank, that are indicating uh, that they will increase um, quantitative easing or there are signs that they will do so at the, so at the soonest moment of... Um, tremors in the financial markets um, and this is uh, a big deal actually because they've only just begun in recent months mm. to wind back quantitative easing and of course quantitative easing is the process which began after the 2008 global financial crisis where central banks created money out of thin air to buy assets from the banks of books trillions to provide those yeah. banks with liquidity. And, of, and, trillions of dollars. and the consequences of it have been disastrous because mm -hmm. the debt of those banks, the debt, the global debt of the system has increased by 50 to 60 percent. Um, everything's become worse. Banks have become bigger, even though they were meant to become smaller. The too big to fail problem has actually gotten worse. Um, so the fact that the signs are coming out that this is happening means that they are extremely nervous. Uh, Nomi Prinz, who's a former Wall Street banker and an advocate for Glass-Steagall banking separation, which we'll talk about later, um, had an accurate summary of it. She said, uh, it's the central bank incarnation of Albert Einstein's definition of insanity. Rinse, repeat and expect a different outcome <laughs> um, because there ain't going to be a different outcome. And um, as I said, as we put the question, many other investment services are asking, what do central bankers know that you don't? Um, so the US Federal Reserve, they have basically indicated in the last weeks that they will stop the unwind of quantitative easing that they've had going on. Uh, Europe, they just ended quantitative easing in December and they've now resumed it. And the European Central Bank has announced a new series of what they call targeted longer term refinancing operations, which is new loans to banks to increase their liquidity. And the joke is that that is supposed to stand for the last try to restore optimism, um, as that acronym could stand for. And in the UK, the UK has actually taken quite drastic measures um, and Brexit is put forward as the excuse for that. But um, everyone knows that that's not necessarily the real, the bigger underlying issue. Uh, so they've ordered banks to triple their holdings of liquid assets to cope with a meltdown. And the banks must hold enough easy-to-sell assets to cover 100 days instead of the normal 30 days if they can't, like during the GFC, if they can't do interbank lending and things like that. Um, the Bank of England will be monitoring liquidity on a day-to-day -day basis and has announced weekly auctions to ensure cash availability and is opening a special swap line with the European Central Bank. So this is supposedly for the Brexit period, but, um, you know, there's a much broader risk. You have... Uh, a blow up again with Deutsche Bank, which may be about to be merged with Commerce Bank or Frank's, uh, France's BNP Paribas Bank to make Europe's largest bank. People have often asked the question, could Deutsche be the next Lehman? Well, they've got 20 times the amount of derivatives that Lehman Brothers had, so it would be much, much worse. 
Um, and of course the IMF in 2016 had called Deutsche Bank the most important net contributor to systemic risks in the world. They have the largest suite of derivatives mm -hmm. contracts. Yeah. Um, you have the, the collateralised uh, loan obligations which are uh, bundled up debt which you guys talked about last week, yeah. you and Robbie yeah, on the bundled show. bundled up loans uh, that companies issue and say all banks issue, you know, collateralised loan obligations, very similar to collateralised debt obligations that blew the system up during the global financial crisis. Yeah. The same sort of idea, same sort of interest, similar sort of risk. Maybe not quite so risky but definitely risky. Mm. And that's another potential trigger. So the triggers abound. And if we come to Australia, because in the recent weeks, and again, we've talked about it on previous shows, you've had the International Monetary Fund warning that Australia's banks are not well prepared for a crisis here, for a, a decline, further decline, a bursting of the housing bubble. You have JP Morgan that's told their clients, get out of Aussie real estate. You've had the first signs of a potential blowout of the mortgage bond bubble, which are those same MBS mortgage-backed securities that were the trigger of the 2008 yeah. crisis. And of course that came from Suncorp announcing that one of their mortgage-backed securities may be facing default. So you've got a mountain of securities on top of the Australian housing bubble. So it's not just the housing bubble itself and the implications of the banks and the amount of lending they've got in that bubble, mm -hmm. but these other contracts as well. Um, now, we put out a media release on the 13th of March headlined, An Australian Housing and Economic Bust is Reality, Time to Act. And that basically says, look, we're already in the crash. We have to act preemptively now with the solutions. And of course, Glass-Steagall is one of those critical elements to extricate um, the actual retail banking sector, which are our deposits and savings, from the, um, the speculation, the bubble that's... Yeah, Lisa, the, the, the key here is that this is a political necessity. This is a political program. We've just had the Royal Commission, right, which basically said things about the structural separation, which is what we're talking about with Glass-Steagall. He said it shouldn't happen. Now, it had no right to say that because that actually wasn't in its terms of reference. Now, we know that people, there's a lot of expectation for change with the next election with the Labor Party coming in, but we know the Labor Party has no intention mm. of looking at any sort of policies that are dealing with the sorts of crises that we're about to talk, that we've been talking about and we're about to talk about more. They have no intention of doing that. Now, we've been on a mobilisation for quite a few weeks now where we've been asking people to write a submission to the, the um, Senate Committee on legislation. Economics legislation. Economics legislation. Yep. In order to say to them, oh, because we've got our bill, our Glass-Steagall separation bill is in the Senate, in the Senate Committee. And we're asking people to write a submission to say, we need Glass-Steagall, to write it in their own words. And then they should take that submission and give it to their own local member. Right? And if they, look, people have to realise, and maybe get a bit nasty here, if their local member's not supporting Glass-Steagall, that person is going to be responsible for the collapse of our economy and all the nasty stuff that's going to happen further down the track. Mm. So it's time to get a bit smarter and a bit more active and go and kick the can, or kick, no, don't, not kick the member, just yeah. kick the can, right? <laughs> but you know, make, make, the, make mm. your voice known. Yeah. Because look, there's no point in, you know, in, in six, 12 months time, or whenever it's gonna happen, and we'll go through some more figures in a minute, mm. whatever this is gonna happen, there's no point about complaining about that. Yeah, it'll be too late. It's too late. And um, another voice that concurred with that assessment of it is the tech entrepreneur from freelancer, Matt Barry, he told news.com.au, 
yesterday that the country's economy is now in crisis mode. He said the housing market, market combined with the global situation can bring on a worse situation than the 2008 GFC. And he said the housing market may never recover. Yeah. And he called for a complete change of our economy because he said in the last decade our economy has basically been based on shipping iron ore and coal, building houses and bringing people in from overseas to buy those houses and that's it, full yep. stop. Um, and other signs, you had a brokerage company, one of Australia's uh, largest Halifax investment management, it's going into liquidation. $20 million of customers' money was lost covering bad bets and $190 million of client funds is currently frozen and that's been going on since Christmas. Three South Australian construction companies are collapsing or in liquidation, Cubic Homes, JML Construction, Tudor Homes, in addition to several others that went down recently. And they've seen in South Australia a 33% fall in building approvals in the last 12 months. And um, construction is Australia's largest employer. So the only bit of the economy we have got left, as Matt Barry spoke about, is disappearing and this leaves us extremely vulnerable. And I want to mention one other thing, um, which are the graphs you've got here, Craig, which these come from a report from Macro Business, and they refer to the fire economy. Uh, and the fire economy is finance, insurance and real estate. And what this article says very effectively is that this sector is growing at the expense of the host, which is the real productive economy, and that since the deregulation of the 1980s, it has grown, this sector has grown at twice the pace of the real economy, as they put it, sucking the life out of the productive sector. Finance and insurance uh, has grown at over twice the pace, if you just take finance and insurance, of the real economy. Uh, the primary source, as the article says, of this growth is mortgage lending to fuel the housing bubble. But, as the article concludes, times are changing and the fire sector's growth will be arrested. Yep. But isn't this just indicative of what we've been saying for 30 years? Yes, yeah, look. When you look at an economy, you have to look and say, what do we produce? You know, what is, what is our manufacturing sector? What's our farming sector? What do we actually produce? And then you look at these categories. These are all what's called overheads. They're an expense on the economy. So what these things are showing is that our economy is being sucked dry by overheads, by unnecessary, not un actually unnecessary expense in a productive economy. This is a warning sign for a total collapse of the system. And as I said before... People, it's time to wake up. Go to your MP. Demand Glass-Steagall. We need to have a, a separation out of the, nat, the normal necessary banking system from all the banks that have been speculating and providing the funds for this sort of economy, the mm. speculative economy. Therefore, people have to get, ac uh, you know, get active. Mm. And if their MP doesn't agree with you, well, make their life hell. Yep. That's what they're there for. Yep. If they're, if they don't, look, because they're going to make your life hell. That's they're right. already making your life hell. Mm. So make their life hell because unless your voice is heard from the you know from the from from whatever your local member whatever side of politics it is, then they're not going to listen. Because right now, they're not interested in policies to save the economy. They're looking at an election. They're looking at uh, you know uh, soothing over vested interests, but they're not interested in actually supporting the people. For all the rhetoric and the crap that you're going to hear from now at the election, yeah. the reality is that we know 
They're not interested in the, the, in the necessary structural changes that are necessary, like Glass-Steagall and real policies to support the productive economy. Mm. It's the two parties that have created this problem with these grabs. Yeah, their policies are identical. There's no difference, and we need to take the opportunity of the election to send them a message. Absolutely. And uh, we'll take a quick break, but afterwards we're going to come back and talk a bit more about the solutions that you can talk to these MPs about, as opposed to what we're being told by them should be the solutions. Welcome back to the CEC Report where we're talking about central banks having returned to quantitative easing because clearly they know uh, that action needs to be taken to prevent a new blowout. However, most countries around the world and Australia even the most so, our, our interest rates are already so low there's nowhere further we can go. That's right. So the time is now to talk about real solutions where you actually are changing the fundamentals that cause this crisis and that's what the discussion has to come back to. Now we've mentioned Glass-Steagall, that's our number one um, part that you know has to be taken initially to uh, separate out the speculation and get onto a pathway to rebuilding the country and we'll talk a bit more about that and the rest of our program in a moment. But what is put on the table by the so-called financial authorities and the government as the solution is bail-in. Uh, and of course bail-in is the policy which is being implemented across the world. It's being driven by the Bank for International Settlements and its Financial Stability Board. Uh, and that is the policy of confiscating uh, the the savings and the investments of ordinary people to keep a bank from collapsing so it doesn't set off mm. a train wreck of derivatives collapsing globally because that's what the financial, the City of London, Wall Street want to protect at all costs here. Um, now the IMF in the financial assessment, financial sector assessment we've talked about in the last couple of weeks on the show uh, has demanded, I mean they're so worried about the crisis hitting Australia that they've demanded immediate action on a full statutory bail-in regime where savings even can be confiscated as they can, um, you know, it, without even hiding it in countries like New Zealand and Europe and so forth and the United States. And the importance here, Elisa, just to explain it to people, savings are considered a liability to the banks. And when a bank gets into trouble, it, it, it means it's just liabilities are greater than its assets, it becomes insolvent. When you have a housing bubble like we've had, which is collapsing, a lot of the mortgages and so forth into that housing bubble are considered assets of the banks. So when housing values collapse, mortgages start to collapse or become you know, more and more difficult for people to pay. You've got this real risk, and we say that the banks are actually bankrupt now, considering if you look at the actual values of housing, these liabilities go, you know, they stay pretty much the same, but the assets drop and the banks become insolvent. So what they say is, oh well, we'll just get rid of some of these deposits, these people's savings, drop the liabilities down and maybe turn them into shares, you know, push them into shares, which mm. is not a liability or an asset, and that then makes the bank solvent again. So instead of dealing with the problem, mm. they steal people's deposits. That's what this is, they're talking about. And yeah. it has been done. It was done in Cyprus in, 19, uh, in 2013. Yeah. It's a, a technical, banker's technocrat solution. It's just yes. shuffling a few But it destroys confidence around. in the banking system. doesn't change anything fundamental. Well, That's as right. you said, it destroys the confidence. We'll talk about that a bit yeah. in the next segment because Italy's fighting against this. But we want to talk a bit about here um, is that Australia had an experience with this uh, not in name, but essentially with bail-in in the 1890s crisis. Mm. And you can read about this, um, there's an article in this week's Australian Alert Service, and for anyone who hasn't already can call in and get a complimentary copy. Um, this is where we put all the information that we 
talk about from the show and it is available by subscription. Um, now, in that article, we talk about the fact that in 1888, there was a speculative land boom or really a bubble and it collapsed uh, in, in the, well, it collapsed in 1888, so it had gone throughout the 1880s. In 1891, banks began failing and by 1893, there was complete financial panic. So banks began to restructure themselves and it was called restructuring and there was very little regulation in these days so they got away with whatever they wanted. They essentially recapitalised themselves and changed their name. Using the funds of their depositors to recapitalise, they deferred repayments of depositors or converted deposits to shares. So it's exactly the equivalent of bail-in. Mm. And the Sydney worker in April 1893 said, as a means of robbery, it is much simpler than burglary. And this led to even more banks collapsing, however, and extended the depression. However, and this is what I want you to talk a bit about, Craig, because it ended up catalysing the labour, old labour party's reaction um, to that crisis with real solutions, including things such as the Commonwealth Bank being That's set right. up. Well, look, yeah, the response was the Commonwealth Bank because the Labor Party was formed out of this, this the absolute um, shock and destruction that people were experiencing from this bank collapse. And they said, no, we've got to have more of the general welfare, the idea of the common good. So they formed that. Now, this is the basis of our, our our party, Elisa, the Citizens Electoral Council. Now, we're running a Senate slate across every state in this next federal election and they've got a five-point policy program. Only five points now because there's many things, other things we can talk about but these are the key points that have to be looked at almost like on an emergency basis for yeah. an economy. First of all, Glass-Steagall. We've talked a lot about Glass-Steagall in this show and we'll continue to talk about these policies. The second is a national bank. Mm. A national bank like the Commonwealth Bank acted but with much more powers in a sense uh, in that we are one to regulate the private banking system to control the private banking system and bring them under a government-owned bank, which we would call the Commonwealth National Credit Bank, with the same sort of powers that the Commonwealth Bank was uh, you know, showing during World War I, World War II and so forth. It was a brilliant bank. We're, we're one of the few countries in the world that ever had a bank like the Commonwealth Bank. Mm. And it's, you know, there, was no, uh, there was no bank collapses in the, the Great Depression here because we had the Commonwealth Bank. Right Now, we also have to deal with the fact that 400,000 people are in severe mortgage stress. We can't have families thrown out in the streets, so we're calling for an immediate moratorium on home and farm foreclosures. And we've got to work out, with all these inflated housing prices, and we've got the legislation to do this, how are we going to adjust housing prices and mortgages in order to keep people in their homes? So this will apply to people you know, that have only got one home, not investment properties and stuff like this. We've written the legislation for both the National Bank and for this moratorium mm. material. But you've got to have more than that. You've got to go back and say, well, how do we have a real economy? And you've seen, as we just reported, a lot of the activity has only been in you know, mining, real estate and construction. Well, we've got a bigger, bigger things to do. We're, we're, an, we're a vastly empty country. We need high-speed rail. We need infrastructure, water projects to deal with water. So we need nation-building infrastructure projects. We need to, you know, better healthcare facilities and so forth. Mm. That's, but in, in terms of us, we're not isolated from mm. the world. So our fifth policy is that we have to work for international, with international uh, people for international cooperation mm. for, for a new financial architecture yep. and world economic development. And we'll, we'll take a quick break, but we'll talk about that aspect of cooperation right after this.
Welcome back to the CEC Report, where now we're discussing Italy is standing up for its economy, so should we. So we'll just look at other countries that are beginning to move in the right direction that we can cooperate, should cooperate with. Now, following Italy is sounds like a crazy suggestion, um, given Italy's political history, but hear me out because the new government that was elected last year in Italy is a coalition of left and right parties, and they don't agree on everything, but one thing they do agree on is stopping bail-in. And the Italian finance minister this week, Giovanni Tria, uh, basically came out and said, look, we were blackmailed into adopting the bail-in policy for threat of, you know, if we didn't join, it was an indication that Italy's economy was bankrupt and rah, rah, rah. Um, and he also announced that he agreed with the statements of the Italian Banking Association head, Antonio Patuelli, who called for a repeal of the bail-in law. He said that the regime of bail-in has brought a psychology of anguish to savers and he talked about the previous times that bail-in had been applied several times since 2015 and then you had the Bank of Italy's head of banking supervision compare this to our supervisors Carmelo Barbagello he said that the banking bail-in laws were rushed and they're virtually unenforceable and he said the rules risk undermining trust in banks and generating instability well that's what's happened Imagine, you put your money in our bank, but we're allowed to steal it. Mm. That's what they're saying. Exactly. This is insane, but, that's, that's, but they're, they're, they're working on the idea that most people don't listen or don't take yeah. any concern. They think that if I put my bank, my money in the bank, then historically banks are supposed to look after my money. Mm. So there's a, there's a psychological change that's come about where, no, people, the idea is that you put your money in a bank, they can steal it if they mm, have to. Exactly. And this is what caused the crisis, as we just Indeed. said, in the 1890s yeah. here in Australia. Yep. So, But this is serving to intensify the drive for Glass-Steagall in Italy, which is very good. And the other thing is um, there's a freak-out from the City of London, uh, the United States and the European Union over a memorandum of understanding that's been issued in the lead-up to the Chinese President Xi Jinping's visit to Italy on the 22nd of March. Uh, for Italy to join the Belt and Road and to start developing their country. And the Financial Times expressed this probably the best interviewing Garrett Marquis, who's from the US National Security Council. He's a close ally of John Bolton, very unsavoury character. He said that we view BRI as a made-by-China for China initiative. We are sceptical that the Italian government's endorsement will bring any sustained economic benefits to the Italian people and it may end up harming Italy's global reputation in the long run. Uh, and then the FT pointed to the real worry, and as did La Stampa, another newspaper in Italy, because Italy would be the first G7 country to join the BRI. La Stampa cited uh, unnamed White House officials saying, Italy is a G7 country, one of the closest and oldest US allies. It is a big economic player and a global brand. By underwriting the BRI, it would give its official support to an approach that is having a negative impact on global economic governance. The approval stamp by a government would legitimise such an approach to economic development, which is antithetical to the market and the private sector. And that's a rub. Because China's actually, you know, creating credit, not like quantitative easing out of thin air, but legitimate bank credit to fund the development of the real economy. That's antithetical to the free market mm. and private sector. Yeah. Now, Global Times pointed out that Italy's stance will have a demonstration effect for persuading other countries, France and Germany included, to consider adopting a more open attitude to the BRI. Um, the EU put out a statement saying, I oh, know Italy shouldn't join because it must abide by EU rules and policies. 
And Start magazine, also in Italy, said that the US were most concerned about this phrase, creating a community of shared future for mankind, a community of common destiny. Well, that's, that's what they're worried about. That's right. Their system is putrid. It stinks. They're going to steal your deposits. And then China's out there developing, spending money, loaning money into the real physical economy, creating high-speed rail and all sorts of development projects all over the world. And it's the so-called beast here because it is standing up against this putrid system. Yeah, and this is why we're saying today this is one time Australia should be listening to Italy. Yes. Now, that's all we've got time for. Thanks for joining us and tune in again next week. Mm -hmm.